for our, our series this morning. We're continuing in the book of 1 Peter. We're gonna be in primarily chapter three, verses 15 to 20, so as you turn in your Bibles or your smartphones or those of you in the back corner that brought their ancient manuscripts, let me recap for you just a little bit where we've been and what we've learned over the last few weeks. We gotta reset the context, right? First, Peter is looking um, at how to live in a world that you're not really digging. The people that Peter was writing to, the recipients and readers of this letter were new converts to Christianity in a world that we would call modern day Turkey addressed as strangers and aliens, which means to, you know, in all intents and purposes, live outside alongside the house. They weren't welcome inside anymore. It's someone that lives outside in the house, we would call them homeless, right? Strangers or aliens. Peter calls them the resident elect, those who were not native to the area anymore. They had no allegiance. This is not saying that they weren't Roman citizens, that they weren't Jews, but that their identity was no longer tied up there. Their citizenship was no longer in the world's economy, but in God's economy, God's kingdom. So they were to be living alongside the culture but not as part of the culture. We learned that the Christians in this era had come, come under you know, some mild wrath and some tyranny from their government, AKA Nero, anybody heard of him before? The guy who was just slightly infamous, you know, he was really into building things up and making new things, but he ran out of space, so he thought, oh, you see that slum over there, I'm just gonna burn it to the ground, it'll be an accident. Uh, but when the people didn't quite dig that, he looked for an, a scapegoat. He looked for someone to blame it on, and he said, I present to you this new Jewish sect. They call themselves the people of the way. They're kind of weird. They're worshiping this dude who claimed to be God. They, they get together for what they call love feasts, and they, they eat his body and drink his blood. They call each other brother and sister. It's gross. Let's blame them. And so the Christians in that time started to come under immense persecution. This was the group being persecuted, maligned, subjected, and martyred, and Peter writes them this letter. Church, I spend time recapping this every week because the context matters. It's not in your outline, but it's easy for us to say and look at where Peter writes in chapter two, verse 17. He says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You mean the guy who's using your friends as sporting game in the Colosseum and as human torches to light up the night, that's who you want me to honor? And he says, yes. What Peter wrote to them was a radical example of living for God in their world. And it's an example for us who are living in a culture controlled by the enemy, a culture that we may not quite dig, right? And we'll see a little later in our series, a couple weeks, chapter five, verse eight and nine, Peter writes this, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood, throughout the world. 
First Baptist Church of Fair Oaks, we face that same adversary today. But we know that our God is on the move. We know that his words are living and active and that they proclaim this truth, that the gates of hell cannot stand against him. So, church, as we approach God's words today, here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that we can be faithful, attentive, and have humble hearts to what he wants to teach us, that we would allow God's word to transform us from the inside out, amen? Okay, so if you would please do me a favor, stand with me this morning for, to honor God's word as we read our passage that we'll be digging through together today. It says this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, for that should be God's will than for doing evil. For also Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waned in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought to safety through water. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you today. So thankful for this time and this place that we get to come and be your people. Lord, we wanna give you this time to step away from our burdens, our anxieties, everything that fills up our minds in our normal everyday life. God, we wanna submit this time to you. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful for the revelation that it has for us this morning. Would you open our hearts and our eyes to see what it is you want us to to know about you. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to meet us here this morning, in this moment, God. Help me to get out of the way, help your word to be proclaimed, and help us to leave here looking more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated, rest your rumps, however you would like it said. You're stuck with me for right now. So this morning as we dig through this passage, I believe that there are four things that we need to have in order to share our faith well. I want you to check out with me, just go, go right back into it. First Peter 3.15, it says this, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, and in your outline, you'll see the first fill in the blank is this. We need a properly focused hope. You know, what does it mean to be set apart, church? You know, my first reading of today, I, I went from the ESV, and then that second one's from the NIV, and instead, right, of honor or set apart, the, the Greek word, hasiago, is to, to honor, is the, where we get the, the, the churchy word of sanctification. 
Everybody heard of sanctification before? To sanctify is meaning to make holy. An example would be the Jewish sacrificial system, right, where the priest would ceremonially purify or consecrate, making sacrifice for first himself and then for the people. Or this could refer to the inside setting apart in our hearts and our minds to mentally venerate or hallow, right? When Jesus taught disciples how to pray, he said, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? This to, to put things in the proper perspective, to hollow or to be holy. We set apart Christ from everything else in our lives. And we put him in his proper place of honor and authority, and that is as Lord. That lordship changes things, doesn't it, church? They're not just suggestions anymore. When Christ is set apart as Lord, when we're walking in relationship with him, even through persecutions as this set of readers was experiencing, even though through trials, through relationship struggles in their marriages, conflict with culture and the enemy, the Holy Spirit allowed them to continue growing in how they reflected Jesus as Lord. Though, right, through how, we studied this a little bit last week, through how they showed sympathy, through how they had loyalty and compassion, humility, mercy, and maturity, the Lord was ex exposing himself to the world through their, their attitudes, through their way that they responded to this wave of intense hatred that was coming their way. Because their living testimony, verse 15 says, that they needed to be prepared to give an answer. Because people were beginning to ask them, you look like you're going through a really tough time. Why are you so hopeful? What is the reason for the hope that they had? Because even being in the midst of being maligned and persecuted and slaughtered, the Christians were displaying an unyielding and infectious hope. So let's talk about the Christian faith story and where we put our hope. There's multiple ways to share your faith story. You know, we all wanna be able to look back at our testimony, right, and tell people how we came to Christ. That's our historical faith story when we look back towards the past and we are able to share with everyone, you know, this is me before God, this is when I met God, and this is how he's changed me now. And if you guys don't know much about me, because I'm not up here a whole lot, my faith story is this. I'm gonna cough, so I'm gonna mute this real quick. <clears throat> You're welcome, especially those of you online. I was born into a Christian family, son of a Southern Baptist pastor. Been going to church since the moment they would let me in the doors but I learned and understood early on that being born into a Christian family does not make you a Christian, just like being born in a barn doesn't make you a cow. Otherwise, we'd be celebrating and worshiping with our Hindu friends. You'll, some of you got that, some of you will get it later and laugh, I promise. At a young age, the age of five, I turned to my mom on a Sunday morning 
in service and asked if I could go down and talk to the pastor, who happened to be my dad, um, and pray for salvation. And here's the reality. I had already begun my relationship with Jesus. I knew about him from Sunday school. I had already decided that I loved him because I knew what he had done and the sacrifice he had made for my sins. I already began to speak and talk to him, but that day I professed out loud what God was already doing in my heart. And you may have one of those stories if you are a Christian, right? Maybe it was at vacation Bible school. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher who led you in the sinner's prayer. Maybe it was by your bedside with your mom and dad praying with you, or maybe you hid in a closet all by yourself and just talked to God. My backwards facing story meant that it happened in 1990, right? But this, what Peter is talking about here is different. This is forward-facing hope. That's what I wanna talk about for just a minute this morning. This is the hope that you have in the culture that you live in today. This is when you watch the news and you read the newspaper or you get on the internet and you start scrolling and scrolling and reading what's taking place. This is what allows you to have hope in the midst of the culture. Now to answer that question is going to give you, you're gonna have the answer if you're able to approach it right, right? If you, in your heart, set Christ apart, because he's your hope, it's going to reveal to you the nail that you hang your hat of hope upon. Now we all have hope. The world has hope, Christians have hope, but what matters is the foundation of our hope. You guys got that? Okay, we're gonna talk about it more, so don't worry. So when we're thinking about the world in which we live, whether you like the world or you don't like it, whether you think it's going great or you're thinking that we're about to roll into World War III, um, whatever it is, what hope do you have forward thinking? Because if you have not made the intentional move to set Christ as your hope in life, then your foundation is going to be shifty at best. You'll see this in our outline. It says this, the Christ follower's hope is an optimistic outlook based on powerful promises, right? It's, it's rooted in God's word, in his unchangeability, in his power. And the world's hope similar is this. The world's hope is an optimistic outlook. That's it. That's all they got. This is, man, I really hope my family changes Well, what are you hanging that hope upon? I don't know. I just hope they do, right? Or I really hope the economy changes. Well, what are you, I don't know. Just hope it does. Or so-and-so really needs to change. I wasn't pointing at you on purpose, but (laughs) it's not wrong. I love you. Okay, where's your hope at? I don't know. I just really hope they change, right? There's no foundation. It's empty. It's just an empty hope. But when your hope is on the promises of Christ and on what he has said to you and has said about you, like we've studied in 1 Peter, everything changes. 
because it's not based on I'm just hopeful anymore, but it's focused on hope based in the promises of God about life, about eternity, about everything. So, Pastor Dan, how do I know if I'm focused? I'm glad you asked. We know that we're focused if. It means no matter what happens, the central truth about Jesus is the filter that I run everything through. You know, I joked earlier about World War III, but church, if you spend too much time reading what's going on in the world, you will go down rabbit holes and you will find yourself feeling like it's all about to hit the fan and you need to sell everything and liquidate all your assets and buy gold, right? I don't know if World War III is coming soon, but I do know the promise that I live on and Jesus said that he's going to prepare a place for me, right? That's it. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know if someone's gonna push the button or not push the button. I have no idea and I have no control of it. But I do know the guy that holds the future and he told me he's gonna go build me a shack and then I get to hang out with him. That's my hope. You can get all spun up and out of control thinking about everything going on in the world or you could take a few steps back and realize that you're all spun up and out of control about the things going on in this world because you have not set Christ apart in your life. I'm holding on to other things that bring security, right? I need to push those things aside and trust Christ as Lord, right? First Peter 3.15 says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. And it's just the idea of how we set him apart. It's a decision that we're going to make and that we continually have to make to move other things aside so that we can build our hope upon the foundation of him. Right, is your hope in the economy? I have plenty of money and a strong 401k. Really, that's where you're gonna base your hope? Or in your job? I have a great career and a super, super secure Really? Your resume? You know, I've worked in the top three Fortune 500 companies and your degree, right? Are you all that in a bag of potato chips? At the end of the day, it all means nothing. But it is a warning to you and me that our foundation has to be the right foundation or else it can all be gone in an instant. At the end of the day, it could be taken from us and removed like that. And it's not just sinners. In my small group, we're studying the book of Job, a righteous man who honored God in all that he did is taken away like that. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. In order to share our faith, number two, we need to have individually prepared reasons. 
Peter says it this way, you have to be ready to share the reason for the hope that Dan has. Not you guys, but you. Whatever your name is, insert the blank. The reason for the hope that you have, and here's the beauty behind it, you don't have to have a theological degree. You don't have to know Greek, Hebrew, Latin. You don't even have to know King James. That's a joke too. It's funny, you'll, you'll laugh later. Peter is simply saying this, This is the reason for the hope that you have. So what is it? What is the verse that you live by, right? What's the thing that God uses in your life to prepare you to go and face the world? And what's interesting is that this passage says that the world's gonna come to you. This isn't you standing on a street corner. This isn't evangelism, door knocking, going around, handing out cards or pamphlets. Those are good things to do. But this verse tells us that they're gonna come to us and they're going to ask what the reason for the hope that we have in the future is. And that you're gonna be prepared to say what it is, right? It isn't based on your personality, it isn't based on your knowledge or your popularity or how witty or fast you are at coming up with answers. I wish that was a spiritual gift, but it's not. It's not based on any of those things, it's just based on the hope that you have the hope that God has placed in you through scripture and by experience. For example, let's just say you're a single mom. And I will say right now, I'm not a single mom. I am so thankful for my wife, Liz. We have two little boys, five and two, and we barely get it done with two of us in the house. Those of you who walk that road where you are carrying that burden, God bless you because that is that is. So much, but let's just say you're a single mom and God gives you a verse. Psalm 68, five. God is the father to the fatherless. And it's just the verse that you choose to live by when you're having a hard time, when you're alone, when you're really in need and you lean into God, you remember that he is the father to the fatherless. And in his timing, he brings someone along into your life that's gonna be struggling in the same reason you are. And you'll be prepared to share your reason for hope that God is the father to the fatherless. And that's gonna be exactly the truth they need to hear. And all you're gonna say to them is, God is the father to the fatherless and it's gonna speak to right where they're at. Or think about the person who lost a job, right? Maybe you've lost a job before and you've seen God be faithful and you've trusted him through a season of process and change and you remembered how you learned in Matthew chapter six that if you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added unto you. So when God brings into your life someone that says, Man, I thought I had a bulletproof job, but I just got pink slipped. I have to go home and tell my wife and I don't know what I'm gonna do. You're gonna be able to share with them this promise that God has used to help you through a similar season. Not in a, you're a big dummy, I've had it way worse than you, stop feeling those feelings and trust God kind of way but rather the ability to come alongside 
and gently remind them of God's unconditional love for them and the promises of his word. And here's the important part, church, that that's all you should be giving them in that moment. The reason for the hope that you have. They don't need to know the deep, truthful meaning behind the book of Habakkuk. They don't need to understand and be given a seven-part series on how the prophecy in Daniel is so awesome because Daniel prophesies about the exact number of days between Nehemiah would go back to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and when Jesus would ride in on a donkey on Palm Sunday. They don't need to know that, even though it's awesome. They need to know the reason for the hope that you have. They just need the truth of how Jesus can walk them through the storm that they are continually and currently being relentlessly beat down by. The best reason that I can give are the promises that mean the most to me. That's your next fill in the blank. Just don't want you to miss it. So how do I get prepared, Pastor Dan? Well, it goes on to tell us, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. See, the people that disagree with you are going to come to you and ask you for the reason for the hope that you have. And can I say, church, that this isn't your chance to say to them, well, you've made your bed, so now you gotta lay in it. No, this is the opportunity to point them towards Jesus. Church, you can have firm beliefs and not be a jerk about them. The third thing we need in our outline is this. We need sincerely expressed gentleness. This played out for me before I was working at the church full-time. I was a truck driver. Anybody ever been in that world before? Truck drivers are a special breed. They're right up there with plumbers and sailors. Um, <laughs> and they didn't understand me because they were all truck drivers for a living, and I was truck driving to pay the bills while I went through Bible college. So they wouldn't understand when I was like taking a day off, not for vacation, but to go sit in the school library and write a paper. And so they called me preacher boy. <laughs> you know, the fun razzing that happens in the workplace. And there's this kind of razzing that happens, but eventually by God's grace, because I was able to continually be faithful in my actions and in my speech, like we studied two weeks ago, my life spoke to them in a way that though they still called me preacher boy, they'd privately come to me when I was back at the dock or they'd call me and be like, hey, where are you taking your lunch break today? I need to meet up, I need to talk about something. And they'd ask for advice and for prayer and I was just so humbled that preacher boy got to be there. And at that moment, did I haul back and prepare my best blow and say, you know, you've been sowing seeds of selfishness and poor decisions and you are harvesting your field of consequences for your unrighteousness. <laughs> I wanted to, but I didn't. 
No, I shared with gentleness and respect the promises of God's faithfulness in my life that I felt best fit that situation that we were walking through. See, my lifestyle paved the way, but I eventually had to use words. Hebrews 4.12 in your outline says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. See, in those moments, I wanted to tell them everything I thought they were doing wrong. But what I was called to do was just point them to Jesus and point them to God's word, the thing that's powerful and effective, the thing that could dig into where their true hurt was and do work that Pastor Dan's advice or Preacher Boy's advice wouldn't get to. And I'm always amazed in those moments how God always shows up and gives us the right words to say. Anybody been there before? It's amazing how much scripture you can recall when the Holy Spirit's speaking through you. Words powered by the Holy Spirit, ready to cut to the heart of the issue and produce growth in the life of the one that he has prepared the soil. 1 Peter 2.12 says it this way, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. This is completely contrary to the, the picture that our culture is painting our world in right now. You know, the media wants to tell us that God is dead, that no one wants to hear about your faith or your Christian dogma, but I'm here to tell you, church, that that's not true. When we live out our faith, people see. And people will see the unnatural peace and joy that you have in the midst of everything that's going on. And they will ask you, who or what makes you different? Okay? So how do I know if my attitude is right? First Peter 3.20 goes on to say this. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was still being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. The fourth truth we need to have to be able to share our faith outwardly is this. We need, to courageous, we need courageously maintained confidence. Let me explain what I mean by this confidence because it's probably not what you think it is. This is not arrogance, it is not cockiness, it is not, I know God saved me and you better listen to me. It's understanding that there are people that God is gonna send your way that you may be the only Christian they really know and you're probably the only one that has this opportunity to speak into their life. I can't do it. Your great aunt Sally, who's the best Christian you know, can't do it. God's put them in your life. And he's given you the opportunity you're going to tell them the truth for the hope and the reason for the hope that you have. 
And here's what they're going to say. Yeah, but A, B, C, D, E, F, G. This is why Peter's writing to them and us about Noah. For 120 years, Noah preached to the people by his words and his actions, right? He was building a big boat that they needed to turn from God and turn away from their evil ways. Their ways were evil. You know, this week, check out what was going on in Genesis chapter three. You'll know their ways will, were not just evil, but they were evil or evil or evilists. I don't know. The illustration of Noah reminds us of something, though. This is in your outline. A, Noah didn't have to produce results, and neither do we. First Peter 3.20 says that only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And you think that's a good number of people, but it was his kids and his kids' wives and him and his wife. He didn't have a wide-reaching ministry. It was just those closest to him. The second part of it, B in your outline, is if Noah could handle the insults and persecution, so can we. Genesis chapter six, verse five and six says, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that in every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all of the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. How do I know if I'm really ready? How do I know if I'm ready to share the reason for the hope that I have? And here's what I'll tell you. If you spend the majority of your time watching, listening, reading, et cetera, and your first reaction is, oh no, then your hope's in the wrong place. You're not living in, rather you are living in the culture rather than alongside it. You're living in the world's economy rather than God's economy. You're still in the house when you're called to be outside. According to the world's economy rather than God's economy means that when things come up, when trials hit, I'm freaked out. And I'm not saying as Christians we don't worry. We're supposed to be good stewards. We're called to stewardship. We're called to think ahead and plan and make plans, but it's not supposed to eat us up all the time. What it means is your heart was just on the wrong focus. Reality is this church, no matter what the world is going through, God's grace is sufficient. He's built a shack for you. He is faithful in every moment and time and situation if you are willing to seek him first. You may not be in control, but you can know the one who is in control of it all. As long as you in your hearts set apart Christ is Lord. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray over my friends and my family this morning. Lord, thank you for allowing us to come together to identify where and in who or what we've been placing our hope, God. God, help us to train our hearts 
to set you apart as Lord. Sanctified and honored as you deserve. Help us not to cling to our distractions or our worries or our concerns, but to live alongside the culture, showing them that there's a better way and that that way is in you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for being a good shepherd, a gentle shepherd, a patient shepherd. We have so many reasons to have hope and confidence in you. Help us to reflect you more, Jesus, to everyone that you put into our path. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And with every eye bowed, every eye closed, every head bowed, you know, if you've never taken that step, like I talked about my faith story of putting my faith and trust in Jesus, if you haven't taken that step and you're feeling called to this morning, I would just want to give you the opportunity to pray with me. You say, Lord Jesus, today I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've missed the mark. And Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, that you died on the cross and rose again. Lord, today I confess you to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for making me a brand new creation in Christ. I love you, Jesus. Amen.